Welcome to Counterculture Parents. I'm Kurt Bruner, your host, and as always, thanks for listening. On our last episode, we began a conversation about character formation in our children. At the end of that episode, I said that uh, this time we would turn a corner from exploring the problem or those vices that drag our children downhill towards the things we can do as parents to help them move uphill, to achieve their God-given potential as those made in the image of God. So what you're going to hear comes from another presentation that my wife Olivia and I gave to a group of parents as we were describing the process of nurturing character in the next generation. As you'll hear, part of this presentation includes describing a few very popular characters from the writings of J.R.R. Tolkien, and those characters serve as helpful illustrations of both the uphill and the downhill potential that our children possess. And after that, we'll go into very practical ideas of how we can help shape the character of our children moving forward. Powerful quote from Mark Rutland. Parenting shrivels because it takes discipline to lovingly train another. It is easier to indulge a child than shape his character. It is so much easier to give in to the incessant pleading, to the everyone else is. It takes discipline, parental discipline, Mm -hmm. to lovingly train our children. So we would like to talk about a framework. Why is that, first of all? And to give you a bit of a framework for what I call a theology of your child. I'm going to give you a really quick theology of your child. And then this theology of your child, I think, can help us as we make the choices necessary to lovingly train our children. I'm going to go back. I went to find one of the oldest, cheesiest slides I've ever produced (laughs) because we've been teaching on this for like 20 years in parenting workshops. But it's so foundational. Let's talk about, first of all, your child's potential. In Genesis 1 and 2, we're we're given the creation story. And as the image reflects here, we have on the right side the potential of what it means to be human. To be human means to be made in the image of God for for goodness, for joy, for success, for health, for life, for creativity. That list could go on and on and on, all of which reflects who God is in his character that he instilled in us as those made in his image. But in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we also know that there was the potential of the opposite, is the opposite of good being evil, the opposite of joy being misery, and so forth. So God put us in the garden to say, you have a choice. You have freedom. Okay, that's part of what it means to, be, to have the dignity of being human, is to have that type of freedom. Uh, when our oldest was two, uh, I remember an instance occurring in our home. You may have a similar instance in your home if you have children that are uh, past two years old, where suddenly you discover they've done something, and you realize that your perfect, loving child, as I've discovered had inherited a sin nature from their mother (laughs) and from their father, but from the parents. This thing called a sin nature, which moves us into Genesis chapter 3, which is seen too in a theology of your child. Okay, every child is born with this bent, this propensity, I would call it. So yes, do they still have the potential for virtue, for joy, for all of those good things that it means to be made in the image of God? Absolutely, they still have that potential. But now there is this propensity this downhill propensity that they have because of the fall, this bent that we experience as humanity. And your child, from the very point of conception and birth, your child has that propensity. 
Have you ever asked yourself, where did they hear that from? Where did they learn that from, right? And you're looking at your spouse, you're looking at the children they play with, you're trying to figure out where they got that from. They got that from your DNA, okay? I'll just tell you. Every child was born with this propensity, this downhill propensity. Now, if I was to take, if I'm at the top of a hill and I was to take a bowling ball and I'd lay it down on the slope of that hill, what do I have to do to get it to roll downhill? Nothing, right? That's where it's going of its own momentum. It's exactly the case with our children. It's so foundational to understand that our children have tremendous potential, which they haven't lost, but they have this propensity, which is a downhill propensity. Now, why that's important is to understand the world in which we live and why the choices we're talking about are countercultural. All right. What is true freedom? To the world, true freedom is I, I want freedom from any limits on my desires or on my passions or the things that I want. That's freedom. But Christianity teaches us that no, true freedom is freedom from bondage to my desires, bondage to my passions. That downhill propensity, all right, that draws our children, that draws us towards self-destructive things that actually dehumanize us. All right, who are we looking at here? What are these guys? They're hobbits. What, tell me a little bit about hobbits. Just shout anything out. What do you know about hobbits? Short. Short. Mm. Big, Big feet. feet. Hairy feet. Hairy feet, good. What? Somebody said something over here. They're humble. Humble. That's a good one, actually. Let me ask you this about hobbits. Are hobbits inclined towards quests and adventures and heroic acts? No. No, they like to stay home in the Shire, right, and just stream Netflix if they had it. Right? That's, that's, that's the life that they want, right? They, no, they just want to be... They garden. They garden. They want, yeah, they like to garden. They right? like to eat. Nurture, eat. Yes. All right. So that's the nature of hobbits, right? Do they, though, have the potential of being heroic? Yes, give me a name. How do we know? Brodo. Who else? Sam. I think Sam, more importantly, Sam, yes. But we'll, we'll go into that later. <laughs> yeah, they have the potential to be heroic, right? Now, who are we looking at here? Gollum. Smeagol. Okay, glad you said that. What was Gollum before he was Gollum? Essentially a hobbit, right? Cousin to a hobbit, but he was essentially a hobbit. So before he became this despicable character, which I believe in all of literature, there is no greater example in which you both pity and, and, and despise the character all at the same time, right? And in many ways you observe, particularly when you read the books, but also when you watch the films and so forth, you get a sense of something has happened that de-hobbitized this person. He lost what he could have been and what he was and rolled downhill for so long that he's become something completely different. And that's what can happen to us as human beings. When we even teach on, for example, media addiction, two young people, two teenagers, we always use this example, and they get it. That, yeah, yeah, I, I, I get it. Remember uh, what happened with Kyle? Well, we used to tell them, because on that slope, you know, when your children become a believer and when they accept Christ, I mean, what does it mean to, what does the word repent mean, you guys? It means what? Turn around, right? So now you're on this slope. You turn around. Did your job just get easier or harder? You're walking what direction now? Uphill. It's harder. You're, God has given us spiritual disciplines to walk up that hill. And as you walk more, you get muscles, right? And you're stronger, and it's easier to make those decisions. But in our, in our opinion, when you go downhill, the farther you go, 
the easier, you know, the faster you roll, basically. In fact, I would, I would, if I drew that graphically differently, the slope would get steeper the further downhill you go. Right. It becomes harder and harder based on all those prior choices to ever be able to turn around. And anyone who has, as we do in your family, those who are severely addicted, whether it's to alcohol, drug, or other addictions, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You grieve the fact that they seem to even be losing their freedom the further they go down that addictive pattern. And that's just the nature of what it means to be fallen. But it was so great, and we're going to talk about great literature and great media to bring into your home later, but later tonight, but with Kyle and, and with our kids, once they knew Lord of the Rings, it was awesome, because anytime they felt like they were getting that way with someone, we, I would say to them, what do, you, what do you want, my precious? And they would go, Mom, no, you want my precious. You know, and they would just, they hated when I did that to them, because they, they knew what I was talking about immediately. You want that thing more than anything else, and is that what God would want for you, you know, for you to be so mastered by that, that that's all you can think about. Whatever it happened to be, you know, that day that they were like, I have to do this, I have to get this first. Usually, almost always, it was around media. That those are the things that drove them to the point of, you know, a ring for them. To that point of, I, I really cannot think about anything else until I get that, okay? So that's why this is so important. So let's talk about then, let's move to the positive. So what do we do? What actually nurtures virtue in our children? What nurtures them to, become, to reach their potential, to move uphill rather than downhill? And nurture is the right word. It's like cultivation. It's like gardening. It's not like a list of to-dos and so forth, right? It's that process of nurturing in our children, building in them a character and a movement towards virtue and reaching their potential. And there are three specific areas uh, activities that we as parents drive in our children's lives that, that help with this. Okay. The first one um, we say is just knowing right from wrong. This is what we do a lot with our kids. It's super easy to do. This is really spiritual formation. This is especially when they're young, just teaching them, giving them moral instructions. This is right. This is wrong. This is what the Bible has to say about this. This is what the Bible has to say about that, right? The Ten Commandments. And then just having faith conversations at home is how you teach your kids right from wrong, right? You just talk to them about it. You show them. You teach them. Um, but, you know, knowing right from wrong is not enough because a lot of us know right from wrong. Yeah, let me ask a question. In fact, show of hands, raise your hand. How many of you know donuts are bad for you? Or ice cream. We'll, we'll take either donuts or ice cream. <laughs> Go ahead, raise your hand if you know that they're bad for you. He's like this. Keep your hands up. How many of you have ever had donuts or ice cream? Put your hands down. Yeah. So we know what's good for us. We know that what helps us become healthy or, or successful or whatever it is. It's not knowledge alone, although knowledge is so foundational, which is why courageous choice number one, mm -hmm. right, which is instilling in, in them a faith and an understanding of biblical understandings is so foundational, but it's not enough. There are two other that really are linked to what we're going to talk about the rest of tonight. The second is wanting right over wrong. Okay, it's one thing to know what's right. It's another thing to want and desire what's right. And you know where this comes from? Primarily it comes from baptizing a child's imagination with great stories. And it's that simple. It's, it's powerful stories, particularly reading with children, reading and introducing them to great stories. Not exclusively through books, but a lot of it through books, particularly when they're younger children. That baptizes, C.S. Lewis used that phrase, it's baptizing their imagination in things that make them desire what is good and despise what is bad. Why did our children recoil at saying, my precious, and comparing what they were doing to that? Because they were exposed through great, a great story to a character they did not want to be like. 
And they, it caused them to say, I, I don't want that. Uh, there are many characters in literature, if you go into the Narnia t- tales and you see the witch. The witch has power and everything else, but no one wants to be like her, right? And this is what great stories and great literature do for us. You're not going to find that in Captain Underpants and so forth. You've <laughs> got to find great literature and introduce your children to these things. But great stories baptize a child's ima- imagination and make them desire what is right over what is wrong. And I'm afraid of something. I'm afraid that technology and media has replaced this in our homes. I am afraid that instead of reading great books together as families and instead of introducing our children to these stories where we can say, read Secret Gardens to your daughter, and when you read Secret Garden to them and talk about that little girl, how nasty she was at the beginning, and is that how we want to be versus how she ends up at the end after she learns to humble herself, read Anne of Green Gables. You know, I mean, our, and then for boys, there's so many great books too. So when you have that, but that takes time. I did not grow up in a reading family. I did not grow up having my mom read to me at all. But we committed. We read to our children or listened to audiobooks together and all the way through high school. I mean, even when we were driving, we would listen to things, great stories together so that we could have these conversations about how these characters represent what, what is good and what is not good in the world and, and what reflects what biblical biblical values are, right? So I, unfortunately, I think now instead, what are we doing? We're watching TV, we're on our phones, we're playing video games, we're doing things that do not do the same thing as this to help our children want these things because it's natural to go, I want to be that beautiful character. One time we were in the car listening to Narnia, and I'll never forget, Sean, it was the part where Aslan's on the stone, you know, and they killed him, and then in the end, the, my, the mice come and gnaw the, the rope away from him, and then the girls are crying, and then all of a sudden Aslan, you know, the stone breaks, and, he, and Sean's like in the back of the van, and he just sits up straight and goes, Mom, Dad, that's just like Jesus, you know, and he just goes into the gospel. Well, you know, if we would have asked him, what did you learn at church on Sunday? He'd say, oh, I learned Jesus died and rose and dead again, you know, right? It's not bad. We want him to know the truth. But when he saw it in a story, he was like, wow, that is so real, right? So do you understand that baptizing their imagination when they're young, especially, and they're open to those things is so very important. Now, what we just said is not hard, <laughs> but it is a choice and it is time consuming. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you, it's well worth it. Mm-hmm. The last thing uh, relates to uh, the family culture that you're creating. And that is, yes, they need to know right from wrong. They need to desire right over wrong. But they also need to be, be in the habit of doing right instead of wrong. Doing what is uphill, what is a discipline, versus constantly doing what is downhill and dragging them away from their potential. Um, so these are just practical disciplines in our home. And it has to do with the culture you create mm-hmm. as a family in your home. And your home needs to have a distinct culture that is counterculture, mm-hmm. because the culture at large is shaping a very different uh, agenda and is moving our, our, our uh, entire generation further downhill rather than uphill. So these are countercultural choices, but they are habits, they are disciplines. I really encourage you, in case your child doesn't like brushing their teeth, to make them do it anyway. (laughs) Just a tip, you know, make them do it anyway. You know, I think when we get into spiritual themes, we think, well, I really want them to want it and desire it sincerely. I really want them to feel it when they apologize to their sister. Make them apologize to their sister even when they don't feel it, just like you make them brush their teeth. Why? You're getting them into the habit of doing the thing that is the right thing to do, even if you don't feel it. And this is part of family culture. And saying no to certain things in terms of media and yes to other things is a big part of the family culture that we're creating. First uh, Corinthians 6.12, Paul writes, Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but 
I will not be mastered by anything, my precious. And one of the challenges we have as Christians is we often frame everything as right and wrong, moral or immoral. And the reason we wanted to talk about the uphill-downhill is it's about their potential either direction is what we're talking about. Helping them become what they were made for in the image of God. Do you remember what in Genesis chapter 3, you remember the words of the tempter's temptation. He said, you will be like God. The, the truth is, he was right. We were made. Our children were made to be like God in that they are iconically reflecting the image of God. That is their potential. But that's not what he meant by it, is it? He meant you will be your own God. And that's the downhill slope. So let's understand the theology of our children. Let's understand what actually nurtures character and virtue. And then let's make our media choices within that understanding with this as a driver. Don't let anything master them. Okay? Because even if it's not immoral, even if it's not wrong, it can move them downhill rather than uphill. Every Christian parent that I know really wants their children to embrace the faith, but also mature and grow and reach their potential as those made in the image of God. And I hope some of what we've shared today is helpful as you take steps in your home, as you make courageous choices in your home to help your children stand out rather than just fit in. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time. Counterculture Parents is brought to you in part by DryFaithHome.com. We help churches reach and disciple busy families. If you appreciate this podcast, then I encourage you to support your local church, which is your most important reinforcing community.